Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Welcome back. My guest today is an inspiring young mental health advocate, the host of the Dissociative Identity Disorder podcast, The Back System, Melissa C. Water has been an advocate for mental health and Tourette syndrome since 2007. She creates related content on her YouTube channel, has appeared on documentary television, national radio, and as a speaker at national conferences. On her podcast, The Back System, Melissa speaks of her experience with dissociative identity disorder, or what was once known as multiple or split personality disorder. Her journey is in getting to know, as well as finding a fondness for her multiple identities, also known as headmates, or alternate personalities. In her early 20s, before being diagnosed with DID, she was misdiagnosed with ADHD and put on medication. We're going to talk about all that, enough said, let's jump right in. Welcome, Melissa. Hi. So great to have you on the show. Um, I am very... I should say, impressed and inspired by um, who you are and what you do in the world. You are an advocate. You speak on on Tourette's uh, syndrome, and I am not that familiar with it, but I'm excited to dive in a little bit uh, so our listeners can hear that as well. And how this is all related to ADHD is not only is there a misdiagnosis in your past, but uh, you have also told me that uh, uh, almost... I would say 40 some percent of uh, people with uh, Tourette syndrome also have ADHD as a comorbidity, right? Correct. So, and we are also, you are also, you have been diagnosed with what's called a dissociative identity disorder. And yeah. since we're, we're talking about mental disorders, I thought this would be a great conversation. So why don't we jump in? Why don't you tell us, I'm curious, how did you get to this point, uh, recently to be diagnosed with uh, with dissociative identity disorder. So for those who, who don't know yet, as a, just from based on the name dissociative identity disorder, it's what was previously known as multiple personality or split personality, which can be confused sometimes with a personality disorder, uh, like borderline personality disorder, whereas they think that maybe it's a kind of like a differences in personality. Like sometimes I like fry, sometimes I talk in a British accent when I go to Britain. Like it's not that. It's more like an actual change in identity rather than personality. So I just wanted to clarify that for people who may not know what DID is. <laughs> and I can also refer to it as DID because that's way less of a mouthful in dissociative identity disorder. <laughs> so I ended up being diagnosed in 2019. Although I had a lot of hints, we'll call it like quirks that were, I kind of, well, I certainly noticed them, but I didn't figure, okay, this adds up to this. I didn't think that it added up to having alternate identities. Once in a while, I would kind of think, I wonder, but then I was like, <laughs> I kind of like downgraded myself and like, you idiot, you know, that's clearly not the thing. Like, like statistically, that's that's just not it. And like, why would that be it? So, but then when I was when I was diagnosed, I wasn't entirely one hundred percent diagnosed. It was like it was diagnosed without being on paper because it was so stigmatized. 
that my psychiatrist didn't want to necessarily write down uh, for other psychiatrists to see and stigma and and judge if they didn't necessarily um, feel that it was uh, a real a legitimate disorder. So I have been since diagnosed officially, um, but a few times actually. But yeah, so originally it was mostly just told that I was dissociating and it wasn't mania. And I thought it was mania. I thought I was misdiagnosed with ADHD uh, when I was in my young adults. And I was almost diagnosed with autism or like the teachers did, but then I was evaluated and that was apparently not it. And then uh, there's also an ADHD misdiagnosis, if you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so that was due to the degree of how much I was not paying attention, but that was not due to like a, a neurodevelopmental or mental health imbalance. It was mostly, well, technically it was a mental health imbalance, but due to dissociating. So it's kind of like, being in a daydream where like you kind of float off because that's what dissociation is. But I was constantly in my head, constantly unable to know fully what was going on around me because I was living inside my mind. So they thought that I had ADHD and not only ADHD, but severe ADHD due to how much I just couldn't stay present. But that was mostly because I needed to ground. And, and by the way, those, those little, the noises that you make, can you just speak to that? Um, just so for our listeners, right? And, and w how does that happen? When did that start? That is Tourette syndrome. So they are tics and uh, not like the bug, but, you know, like uh, involuntary movement or noise. And it's spelled T-I-C. So just for those who might misspell it, sometimes just felt like the bug. That's it's all it's kind of a bug. Um, so it is a involuntary movement, noise or word or sentence. It's usually word salad, doesn't mean anything except for like a burst in like energy coming out, like a misfiring. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's like, so if someone with threat syndrome says something, it's not what they're thinking. It's not that they can say what they're thinking. It's not that they want to make noises. They like it less than you do. <laughs> so if you're bothered by it, so are they, they don't like saying these things or doing these things. And, but usually, you know, like as long as people know what's going on, it's, it's pretty, pretty easy to right. kind of like go with the flow. Well, that's why I wanted to point it out because I actually really like the sound and the consistency of it. Like it's, it sounds almost like a, a digitally generated, you know, sound made by a computer or something that's a cool. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I heard. I've heard a uh, guinea pig um, dog, not that one particularly the dog, but I've heard water drop, which is kind of nice. Exactly. That's what I meant. There's that, that water drop. Uh, yeah. I think Apple has that, right? Yep. <laughs> well, I just wanted to point that out so our listeners know that's, first of all, that is part of who you are right now. Mm. And that's what they might be hearing, right? And my question then would be, do you, is there a pattern that this happens uh, uh, more so when, when maybe there's pressure on you or you're nervous or stressed? Or have you noticed a pattern when it, when it uh, intensifies or is it just totally random? I'm not sure how random random because I know that sometimes anxiety does play a factor. So if I'm going in public and I'm really 
stressed around people, which I am, then I'll take more, but not necessarily because like at this time that people necessarily frighten me. It's mostly that I'm afraid that I'll embarrass myself and take in front of them, and which I do because I get stressed out and like, oh no, what if I do this? And then it amplifies the anxiety, which amplifies the tics, and that makes the anxiety worse, which amplifies the tics. And then it ends just, just being like this kind of a um a show, but like I get used to it, you know, you gotta get a thick skin. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Um, so going back to um, so they thought at some point that you had ADHD because you were disassociating, right? You were not there, you were right. not present, inattentive, right? Is the symptom. Uh, and for you, this happened later in life. This was, uh, you were 20, I think, right? Right. Or was it? Yeah. It was in my twenties, but like I, I was dealing with sort of that concept when I was in grade five, although it was for autism, but it was also because I was withdrawn and quiet, but they, they, they realized that I wasn't catching on to things, but I think that could also like correlate with the ADHD later from not catching on to things if I'm not paying attention or maybe, but they, uh, originally they thought ADHD, they thought uh, autism. I think they might've thought ADHD. Um, it was never really proposed, but the evaluation was to look into the causes of it. Like not necessarily that I had autism, they said that I didn't, but that you might want to look into the causes like to see if there's any issues at home. So then you would want to be able to find out like if there's actually something else going on than what you see on the surface. So that's a very, that's a very important point here. And, uh, you know, I've discussed this a lot on, on the show that we have found, and we've talked to some of the world's top trauma experts that there's always a underlying, um, I let me call it a trigger, something that triggered something in the nervous system uh, that put it on high alert, that put it in defense mode, and it's and it stuck there when we're not processing and healing the trauma. So you actually had an expert point at that, right? They said, oh, well, it's probably not autism, but you should look at home. You should look in your life, in your environment to see if there's a, there's a cause, which I love that they did that. And what, what was the conclusion of that? Did you then start therapy already or did you, um, uh, what happened after that uh, evaluation? They did not investigate. They meaning? Nobody, nobody did. And the, who was supposed to? So they said, you might want to check to see if there's problems at home. The teachers did not, my parents did not evaluate, but you know, um, I think that's, that was already clear to them. <laughs> so, but so, uh, what, so was that? Just sorry to interrupt, but was that that this? You were younger. This this autism uh, di misdiagnosis came before the ADHD misdiagnosis. So, how old were you? Rough. You said fourth grade, fifth grade. Fifth grade. So I was like ten. Ten. Okay. So you're ten years old, and did you hear someone say that? Oh, you don't have autism, but we need to look at home, or we need to look if something else. Did you? Are you? Were you aware of that? You heard them not say at that. Time. Okay, got it. But so not, I, not, not it's in the report. You've since seen a report. It's in a written report. I, I have it now. Yes. Got it. Okay, got it. And so um, you're you're now older. Obviously, you're you're now someone who can look back at, at those years, right? And and that what? had a lot of impact on you. As you started putting the, tell me more about it, as you started putting together uh, the puzzle, if you will, if you're doing your own. Uh, in other words, nobody was investigating it then, but you have since. What have you discovered or what do you think caused 
you to be uh, this way, to behave this way, such that they would want to slap a, a label or a mental disorder on you? So I guess it was a variety of things because like the, the way that I was behaving was mostly like withdrawn or like quiet or wouldn't respond when spoken to. So those were all like partially at least an absolute fear of people, which was drawn from my experiences at home. At home, I was a lot more outgoing, but that's because I knew my family more. But uh, like my brothers and sisters, I was very comfortable with them. Although there were issues at home, there was uh, alcohol, um, an alcoholic in the, in the in the home that was a trusting person that was uh, not, um, how do you say, <laughs> not... Now I'm losing my, my sentence. M mature and responsible. That's what comes. <laughs> Not parental. Not um, parental. Yeah. So they, um, they cross lines and with the alcohol, I think that just the environment was very stressful. It was, uh, there was violence in the house. There was, there was very like un, un, unkosher actions that were very uh, impactful towards myself and my family and we were kind of like living on a like on the edge of like like constant anxiety like what's gonna happen next and like um yeah that was like your, your nervous system was in defense mode in constant anxiety day in and day out right and that get it gets stuck there and then, yes, you will behave like someone that is not present, inattentive, because you can only process one thing at a time. You're either learning or you're processing what's going on at home. Right. Well, part of it was that I didn't know what I was processing, because with DID, you fragment part of your memories become like amnesia barriers. So parts of you remember certain things and parts of you don't. So I didn't remember everything that was going on, which was kind of like a protective bubble that I got to be in where I was the, the lucky headmate. I call us headmates. And I was a fortunate headmate in the sense that I was protected more from knowing most of what was going on while other parts of me knew. So we were in a constant state of dissociation, of disconnect, of kind of like reliving moments that we were still living currently and that we had lived before. And there was a lot of weird kind of events that I just called quirks that I didn't know how to explain at the time that, that I now understand as switches that um, would happen over the years. And yeah, so it does explain a lot how in school I wasn't able to necessarily connect everything because I was too much in everything that was going on. So while they might have thought, well, she can't pay attention, she doesn't want to learn or she doesn't, uh, or she has ADHD or she had autism to try to explain it all away, but they're not looking, even though someone said, you should look at the source, no one actually looked to see, nobody asked me, nobody asked me, did something yeah. happen, is anything going on? Are you safe at home? Nobody asked, not the teachers, no one, not, no one. So if that was suggested, I mean, technically, I mean, it's a good idea to ask because the kid's not going to be like, um, they might not know how to answer, but if posed in the right way, you might be able to find a little bit of a reason beyond like ADHD or autism or like, I mean, it doesn't mean that those 
concepts don't exist in a certain situation. It just means that there might be more to it. That yeah. Might increase the symptoms. I mean, frankly, it saddens me to hear that, that a child's environment, right, household, home life, wasn't investigated or wasn't really considered as, I would say, I never say the cause, but I say as as one of the major causes of this behavior of yours, right? And you and I have talked before, and you're welcome to share as much as you'd like, but I know that also... Uh, uh, if we're looking at trauma that you had somebody trusted, somebody close to you, bring abuse to you uh, in your household uh, early on, you know, in, in your early years, all the way through teenagehood. And so that trauma, um, we just can't ignore it. I mean, right? we can, but the consequences are a lot of, uh, how do you say, like psychological difficulties, uh, smooshing things down until you can't cope and people just self-destruct. I mean, the suicide rate for people with DID is 70%. At least the uh, attempted suicide, the people who who attempt to take their life is 70% compared to like some, some like populations that are like not populations, but um, generalizations that are not quite as high. It's one of the highest suicide rates. This is about as high as transgender actually. Mm. Well, Again, that's it's it's really sad to think that you know seventy percent of people with the disorder that you've been diagnosed with commit suicide because it, it, it in essence it's it's a sign that the the trauma that happened is so intense and hasn't been processed or healed or nobody's cared about you know supporting that healing that they don't no longer want to live right have have you personally have you dealt with suicide thoughts? Have you considered it? What's your relationship to, to that now? So I have, yes, I have been hospitalized for it. I've tried, I've attempted a few different ways, some of which were, um, well, I probably shouldn't go into that, but I, 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 I was comfortable with not eating and drinking because I had an eating disorder. So I was always very self-destructive, trying to disexist by not eating, by not drinking. I existed less because there was nothing in my body to, to, to continue to exist than I, I existed less. So I was comfortable with, with dying that way. So I, I just kind of like found different ways that I felt like weren't... Um, that I was okay with leaving the world by, but like I wasn't actually permitted to do that because apparently you get your rights stripped away and you know, you, you don't get to, you don't, they don't let you die that way. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I, I found that very difficult. And what, you know, uh, most of our, I would say the majority of our audience uh, are, are parents of children with ADHD or, you know, some adults as well with ADHD, um, what would you say to parents, you know, that are, that are in it right now, that are trying to figure out what's quote unquote wrong with their children or what disorder do they have or what mental disorder, what would you say to them just in general, what comes up for you when, uh, you know, now that you're a, a young adult or adult, um, looking back, what would you say to your parents or what would you say to parents in general? To include them in the conversation, like to maybe have a sit down and say, you know, I look to be very like uh, in a sense, 
not too heavy about it so that it doesn't sound feel scary for like a child to listen to or to interact with but like hey I noticed that you might be a little bit quiet in school I noticed that you don't respond when people talk to you are you afraid of the teacher are you afraid of speaking are you like what what is it that scares you I'd like to hear about it you know I'd like to hear from your words and then if they don't reply and they're not sure kind of coax kind of like you know it's okay if you feel that way you know, it's, it's normal. People respond in different ways to different situations. Things can get scary. It's, it's entirely valid. It's, it's entirely okay if you feel frightened and maybe you might feel a little bit more at ease with coming forward with, okay, yes, maybe I do feel a little bit scared and this is why, or, you know, there's a very variety of things that someone can say, but like if they aren't actually upfront asked, then they don't get a chance to say it. And they probably won't volunteer it just all of a sudden unless they have like incredible courage, which it would take. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, include include uh, your children and have a dialogue and continue the dialogue, right? As they grow older, they become more involved so they can process it better. Um, and I think that's important because like, you know, our children are the other roommates in the house right when i say roommates we all live together and if we treat them like children then you know i know it's a it's it's a contradiction right they are children but we should treat them like adults we should never speak to them uh in a way that we wouldn't speak to other adults you know i mean not in terms of the content but like how we treat them right right like Um, condescending yes condescending you're wrong you're there's something wrong with you all that stuff right um just going back to the ADHD misdiagnosis. Um, so you were already in your twenties and, uh, was medication suggested or was it an instant? No, that's not what you have. Or how did you end up not carrying that label forward? So I initially did carry that label forward and it was only taken off the list. Once it was understood that it was dissociative identity disorder that was really causing the issues that was the dissociation. But for a long time, I was labeled with ADHD and I was given medication, not, not necessarily strictly for ADHD. Actually, the medication for ADHD actually helps with Tourette syndrome also. So it was one of the main things that calmed my tics. The, was it uh, Adderall or uh, Adderall-like or Ritalin? Or would, do you remember? Long-acting Ritalin. Concerned. Got it. Concerta, long-acting Concerta helped you with your tics and... Yes, yes. And the, and the TS, the, the Tourette's. Yeah. So oh. in 30% of cases, it, it reduces the number of tics that a person has in, um, or is it 20? 20% of cases, it reduces the amount of tics that ha- you have, and in 30% of cases, it makes them worse. In 50% of cases, it doesn't do anything. That's interesting. Yeah. With our son, when he got diagnosed, he then developed tics and he did, and he he no longer has them, but, um, this is seven years later. Right. Um, but yeah, he, as a comorbidity, I think I call it collateral symptom because once he knew he felt something's wrong with him, he got more nervous and anxious and he would, I would, he would pull his pants by his butt or he would chew on his hair. He would just do things all the time. And that's, that's dissolved now over, over time, but I could see that happening. Kind of nervous habits, maybe. Just nervous, you know, he was now under a microscope. Yeah, that's the thing. 
and that anxiety, right? Like you said, you just sort of just comes out. You're like, ah, what's happening? Hmm, I got to move. I got to do, you know. Um, so now when we look back, so here, here's something cool that you told me. I just want to uh, bring that back up again is that for, for uh, uh, you know, DID, for your disorder, this is, if somebody's just joining now, this associative identity disorder, um, you know, th- you said there's no medication, right? No, there is not. There is medication for the comorbidities, which could be anxiety or depression. There's medication for if there's like psychotic tendencies, but that's not related to the DID in and of itself. There's only long-term psychotherapy. Which I think is really cool because it's almost like, okay, we can't just give you a pill to fix it. So uh, there's therapy. So tell me about that. So when you were told at first to do this therapy, how did you, you started it, you liked it, disliked it, how is it going now? And what have you seen that worked? So initially I wasn't in therapy specifically for DID. Uh, when they found out that this is, or when they diagnosed me, they didn't really... Well, I was in a DBT program, which is dialectal behavioral therapy, because I was misdiagnosed as borderline too, um, which was, I suppose, mid, well, technically no sense, because I only had one and a half traits, and you need at least five to have borderline personality disorder <laughs> out of the nine. But um, it, it made sense in the sense that, like, it's related, there's, what I did have was related to post-traumatic stress. But yeah, so I was in a program for, DBT and I had individual therapy, but this therapist, while he, he did diagnose us, he didn't want to talk to any of of us other than myself. So he wouldn't treat all of us. He would only treat me, which was only part of the issue because most of us in the bag, the bag system, Oh, we, they know more than I do, or they know things that I don't, or I know things that they don't. So we need to collaborate, but that wasn't a possibility. Now I'm in therapy where we're all able to talk if we need to be able to talk. So that makes it so that we can all work things together and that they have something that they might, they might say, that they might not say to me or someone else. They might say to our therapist, whereas that took a lot of time to develop that kind of trust. But the first phase of therapy basically is for DID is to be able to learn coping skills and be able to face digging up trauma to kind of reevaluate what happened and go over the feelings on it and the memories of it. In order to do that, you need to be able to cope with knowing those things or evaluating those things. So that's the first step. Yeah. And so just for, for our listeners, just to clarify, when Melissa says us, meaning your headmates, right? Your multiple uh uh, identities yeah. that are that are together and you said that this therapist only wanted you your identity to speak to him so was that not common knowledge in 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 the therapy world uh, this specialized therapy that a therapist would want to talk to all the identities Did he just not know or is that not common knowledge he wasn't trained for it. So he was trained for borderline personality disorder. He had never met someone with DID because essentially if, if someone has DID, they, they are not permitted to take that course, that, that program. If they have it, they are automatically disqualified. Whereas I was into it before they found out that I had it. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like the exception to the rule. And so here I filter in 
and he finally, after all these years, meets someone who has it, and he has no idea how to evaluate or deal with it, and he sees dissociation in a borderline sense, whereas you're not supposed to encourage it to keep going, like don't, uh, like it's not a good thing, it's not a positive thing to, to resort to, but when it's in DID, it's kind of beyond that scope and you need to treat the whole person where, cause it's fractured people, a fractured person in, in parts and all those parts need attention. But whereas with borderline personality disorder it's one part, one part of one whole that is dissociating. So it's not at all the same thing, but he didn't see it that way. Mm. Um, he quite refused. <laughs> So, um, in fact, he was going to end a session if we didn't, if I didn't return. So um, we almost had a session ended because uh, I wasn't coping very well and I didn't want to be present. So someone else was talking and he didn't like that. So mm. we almost lost our therapy. And when you, when you say other identities, other of your identities, your headmates are talking to the therapist, you, you're you're referring to it as a out loud verbal voicing something, right? Yeah. And is it a different voice? It changes in tone. It changes in. It has its own flavor. The voice. Distinctly. So he knows every time a new headmate is speaking, he would know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Just to clarify for for our listeners, it's nice to get that visual, right? And so, look. First of all, sorry. Go ahead. It's not always that way. I, I should clarify if someone's trying to think of someone with DID in 94% of cases, it is covert, which means that you cannot tell when someone switches. So I'm part of the 6% that you can tell. So if you know someone who says they have DID and you're like, well, I can, I can tell, it doesn't mean that they don't have it. <laughs> it just means that it's covert. So most of the time it's like a hidden thing the system doesn't want you to know about it. The person or the headmates in that system don't want you to know about it. So they're being very cautious to pretend to be the person that was there before. So it's a very hidden thing. Whereas some, some systems are just not able to do that. Yeah. Well, and I just want to point out that this is like a really trippy conversation, right? Mm -hmm. This could be easily misunderstood as, okay, this is crazy. And right. yeah, you know, I just want to point out when I say trippy, I mean, it's so cool because I get to speak to someone like yourself who I just want to acknowledge your, your vulnerability and authenticity to share your life story. I know it's not easy. I know it's, it's borderline going back to, to touching the wounds and, you know, it's a very fragile space. I want to acknowledge that, but I just think it's cool because I don't believe anyone with this disorder or any other mental disorder is not normal or is uh, weird or out there. I truly believe that in this case, again, proves the point that traumatic event in a child's life early on, right? You had traumatic events from early, as, as early as I think you said, a year and a half, two years, all the way into your teens, right? Mm -hmm. Those traumatic events are, in my opinion, and the opinion of many experts I've interviewed, responsible for, in your case, splitting your mind, splitting psych the psychology inside of you. It's not that you were born crazy. It's not that you're crazy now. There's a force that came at you that you just could not handle at this young age. Am I off here or is that? 
Pretty much. Sound right. The mind protecting itself. So it might sound like, whoa, this is science fiction, but if you simplify it, it's the man, the mind. I, I, I think I have a, how do I say it usually? It's not as the mind breaking, but bending with more of us now to help each other men. So mm. we're kind of like broken or like bent into pieces, but we, that's then the dissociative walls kind of bring off an individuality between those pieces because they're separated from the rest. And that just kind of makes individuals, but it's not like a bunch of people in one body. It's not like inserting a person inside one, another person or inserting multiple people inside one person. It's one person in parts. So it's not like this sci-fi body swapping. It's just the mind fragmenting in the face of insurmountable trauma that they would not be able to survive mentally if it wasn't for that. So it's a massive coping skill, really. So it has nothing to do with like, yeah, sci-fi, although it does kind of sound that way a little bit sometimes. It could, right? When you yeah. when people talk about spirits entering their bodies, other entities, right? And that's what I asked when we first spoke. So thanks for clarifying that. And again, I agree. It's like a, 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 a your, your mind went into defense mode and was in order to protect itself, right? Uh, split up you into multiple headmates, right? Multiple parts of the mind and they created their own identity. And so that this, it's not really, technically it's not really disassociative. It's more because associating to what, right? Because if you return to yourself as one whole, you were never really disassociated from, from you, you were just split up. But it's yeah. not a split personality because it's dealing with identity, not personalities, right? Right, split identity, but not really split either. It's more like we never became one. Because mm -hmm. it, uh, like if we're like, um, coming like the, according to structural dissociation, it's more that we come in with like parts of like more like egos, but that's not an alter. I want to specify that it's not an alter. It is just kind of like a, an ability to do like a certain action or a certain survival skill, like um, eating or adventuresomeness. But then if you don't, if you have trauma repeatedly, it keeps those pieces from, or those, those, parts of yourself from becoming one and they were never alters they were just parts of a psyche and mm -hmm. they end up staying separate so it's really just a way to for one part of the mind to take on the blow while the rest is protected and then that part becomes more individual and it rounds off into a headmate whereas before it was not a headmate it became one but it wouldn't have been before. So it just had hmm. the opportunity, to, not the opportunity, but it had the, the possibility of being. Yeah. Yeah. And if we go back a little bit, I just, I'm very curious, like when you were, if, can you remember a time or an age or a place where you were concerned about the repeated trauma that was happening to you, the abuse and, and what, and what do you remember thinking and what do you remember uh, using to soothe yourself? Self-loathing. If that makes sense. I blame myself instead. I took the blame. I said that it was my fault. I was the dirty one. 
I couldn't, you know, I didn't want to blame the person that was supposed to protect me that sat at the other end of the table from me. I could not put that blame on them because that put a monster in front of me. So I was the monster. I was to blame. Self-loathing, definitely, 100%. <laughs> And 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 how did that show up in the in the in the teen years? Did you turn to any coping mechanisms? Any you know in in this context of self loathing, what did you turn to to make yourself feel okay? I tried as much to forget to not think about it because it made me ill to think about how awful I was. Like I thought that I was so foul that I felt sick to my stomach, like literal, like churning, like I could, I was nauseous. So I tried as much not to think about it. I did resort to self-harm since I was five years old. I stopped eating and drinking at the age of three. Um, I was resorting to different behaviors like that pretty much my entire life. So I did kind of turn that against myself from a very young age. But that's probably what saved me in a way. I mean, and did you did you self medicate at any time during your teen years or? Um... No. No, no, I actually didn't. Uh, surprisingly, I actually thought that if I did, I would like it so much that I wouldn't stop because I I, I had I knew that with the self harm and with the eating disorder behaviors that I was very I had a very addictive men, uh, mentality or personality or so I thought if I touched drugs you know, I, I might not come back. Mm. So I was very, very cautious. Good for you. I can relate to that because I'm, I have my addiction I'm working on right now, you know, recovery, but in my earlier years, I knew that if I got too far into something, I could be become addicted, you know? And so uh, just like yourself, I actually never jumped into any, you know, cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, uh, never did. So, um, Good for both of us, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, so, okay. So then you, so you're growing up. So you got misdiagnosed several times with some major mental disorder labels, right? You took some medication for ADHD, you said Concerta for a while. Mm -hmm. And then um, was it just, did it become too much that you, you felt like this is not really the right diagnosis? Something else is at work. And how did you then end up with this latest diagnosis? Well, I was pretty convinced that the well, some of them were, weren't true, like the borderline personality disorder, the ADHD. I semi-bought because like I wasn't sure, but like I, I just was mostly taking the meds for the Tourette syndrome, so I didn't really mind whether it was a mislabel or not because like I was taking the meds for the Tourette syndrome mainly because I felt that that was one of the ones that helped most with my tics. And what brought on the diagnosis was vast changes in behavior and identity, which was after a re-traumatization in 2019, whereas later that, or as the year progressed afterwards, I started to dissociate into kind of like different, different periods of vastly different me. So, but I didn't get what that was. I couldn't understand. I thought I was, my drinks were spiked. I thought that my, that I was manic. I thought that I, had too much ginseng. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what was going on. I had this, there's something very weird. I, I used strange expressions to describe it. And, and I was just like, what is this? I don't get it. Like there's something wrong. One of which was 
it seemed like I was manic, where I was very, very hyper. And I was talking about how I was the best in the world, um, the best at being the best at what no one else wants to be the best at, which is being the most disgusting, the most worthless, and the most deserving to die. So I was the best at that. I was literally beaming, smile, proud with what I call self-esteem about being that awful because I was the best at it. And I was um, stomping from joy and crying so much that I loved it. And I thought something's wrong. Something is very wrong. <laughs> Something is very, very, very wrong. And I was thinking it, but I couldn't say it because every word that came out of my mouth was about how amazing everyone was. You're validated. You're validated. I would look at a post even, you're validated. And it was, everything was amazing except for me, except that I was amazing for not being amazing. And I knew in my head, something is very, very, really wrong. And I was scared, but I wasn't presenting that because it was kind of like a concept of being co-conscious where I was in the back seat of a car and someone else was driving and I could see out of the window kind of thing. Whereas they were controlling the ship, the car. And I was just aware of what was going on and thinking in the back seat, what the hell trip is this? <laughs> so, and I was able to type what I was thinking. So if I was texting to someone, I was like, something's wrong. I need help. The things that I'm saying, I do not, I believe them. I think them, I feel them, but I also don't. So it was simultaneous. Like I feel this and I feel this, but I also feel this, which is the complete opposite and impossible. And yet both are true. So I thought I must, I'm having a psychotic break due to post-traumatic stress. Um, there was a million things I was thinking, but the last thing on my mind was the idea. The last, the last, it was not on, our, it was not on my scope. At all. <laughs> so you mentioned this twice now, the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me more about that. When did that term land in your lap because that's usually something that um most people when they hear that they think of veterans of war right and it and it since has been more generalized because really it's about a a strong or a powerful trauma that happened or an event happened in our lives and then it's how it impacts us moving forward right so when did you first come across the term ptsd and did you think also oh maybe that's it so i was a young adult and I was later diagnosed with CPTSD, which would be complex post-traumatic stress, which is when it happens more when you're younger, when it's repeated. And if it's a veteran of war, it might be PTSD, even though it can be a prolonged experience because it didn't happen necessarily when they were underage. Then, but the majority of instances of PTSD, I mean, a lot of them, I mean, yeah, it's associated with veterans, but very often it's, it's child sexual abuse, it's um, physical abuse, it's um, it can even be a car accident, like a, you, you have a car accident and someone dies next to you, there's blood all over the place, you're just like, that's trauma, <laughs> that's trauma, so it's valid, and yeah, definitely there's a lot of ways to experience PTSD, um, a lot of the times it's overused as an expression, I think. I think it, like my trauma, I'm so traumatized, but really they're not talking about something that was like, if it, the clarification of trauma would be something that you are faced with death 
or you are faced with um, fear, fear for your life or fear for someone else's life that you're in the current situation with. If it doesn't fit in that context, it, it really just isn't car PTSD. So, yeah, no, that's great. And, and it always leads back to also feeling unsafe, right? If you think you're with a person where you're supposed to feel safe, but suddenly you feel out of control, you have no control, something's happening, and you don't feel safe. That's also can be as traumatic as a threat to your life, right? That is essentially a threat to your life. Probably more so because if you're in a situation where the person that you trust is the person you have nowhere to turn because the person that you're supposed to be able to turn to is the person that you that's hurting you, then you kind of have to compartmentalize and swallow it. And that's what causes CPTSD more so than like if it was someone outside the home or, you know, it's, it's more complex in that measure. I just want to point out something I'm present to is that, you know, here you are feverishly looking for an answer. What's wrong with me is sort of the underlying dialogue, perhaps less now that you're an adult, but you know, in your teens or early twenties, you keep looking for what's wrong with me. What is it? What do I have? And it really all points back to something you had nothing to do with. You were there, but it wasn't an action you took. It wasn't, you're born this way. Um, how does that feel? How does it that, feel? Yeah, that you're doing a lot of work just from, you know, I know what you're up to and your, your podcast, which I'm going to let our listeners know at the end where to find you. You speak, you, you're interviewed, uh, you're an advocate. You're doing a lot of, and you're doing a lot of therapy, personal work. That's a lot of work, right? And again, you're doing this, trying to remedy something that happened to you at an early age. How do you feel about that? The fact that it wasn't my fault or the fact that I'm dealing with something that was imposed onto me? Both, yeah. Well, the, one of the things that I'm working on is believing that it wasn't my fault. And imposed onto me, I suppose that to a point, once in a while I get angry about it. But mostly it's at myself. So I'm working on that like tremendously. Like it's, it's the main focus of my, my, my therapy is to stop blaming myself to start being Matt's right person. I remember that when I would get angry at someone and I, my therapist was like, good, <laughs> like, thank, good, do it, do it. Get angry, like, oh, I'm done now. <laughs> yeah, so, get it out, express it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Instead of being angry at myself, to be angry at the person who actually did something that was not kosher, then, yeah. So my, my main thing is to believe that I am not at fault, that I deserve to recover and I I need to be a little angrier at the people that actually are responsible. Yeah. Or in a way, allow yourself to feel the anger, right? It's not necessarily directed towards them. It is, but but if right. you're keeping if you're keeping that anger in, then it stays in the body. Right. Right. It's not going to help you any. Um, so that's powerful. I, I acknowledge you for, for doing that kind of work. And I also get that you got to forgiveness, but first going through anger. Forgiveness for, well, not exactly. I don't think I'm not forgiveness, like personal forgiveness, but it's like, it doesn't seem like you're really hanging on to it and with blame and 
and uh, resentment, you've moved forward, right? You're moving forward. As much as I can. The only person I blame is me, but like that, that's something that I'm again, working on. And I think that, I think that with, with having realized that I have GID is that I can be more compassionate towards myself because if I think, wow, you know, this other part of me didn't deserve that either. Didn't, didn't deserve it. Didn't do that. Didn't uh, do anything to, to deserve that. They were not at fault. So why would I blame myself? So it's been a lot of a, a healing process for me to realize that I'm not alone in my head. Because if I'm realizing, hey, I don't blame them. In fact, I want to protect them. So why am I blaming myself? Why would I mistreat myself? So mm-hmm. it was a huge healing journey to realize that there were parts of me that I was mistreating while I was mistreating myself. So it was a massive step forward in realizing what was actually happening. Mm, yeah, no, that's great. Um, What's next for you? So you are this uh, inspired, right, young adult who is ready to share your experience or your knowledge of uh, Tourette's and and DID, the this just dissociative identity disorder. Um, you have a podcast. People can find uh, your podcast wherever podcasts are available, and I'm going to put a show link a uh, link in the show notes. It's thebagsystem.com. That's where people can find you. Um, what's next for you? What are you creating uh, in, in your life, moving this forward? Oh, I have so many projects. So I have, as well as a podcast, I have my YouTube channel. I have channels. <laughs> and I have, I'm working on an app for dissociative identity disorder systems. It's called Multiplied by One. It can be found at multipliedbyone.com. And it's essentially for assisting communication between headmates so that there can be better, uh, well, one communication and also functionality to achieve functional multiplicity, to be able to know what's going on in your system, to learn more about yourself and connect more with your therapist through that and make a map to understand yourself and kind of figure out what happened before, what's happening now, where you're going to journey towards recovery. So that's, that's what I'm working on now and have a team of volunteer developers. Hopefully that will grow <laughs> in terms of the team, but we're, we're working on it. So like, there's so much, so much to do. And I, I just feel like I'm, that's what I need is to work towards achieving different things like that. Not necessarily like to, trophies it's mostly this kind of a feeling of i'm so glad that people are going to be better off now i'm so glad that i like i need to contribute towards that if i don't then i don't know what i'm like it's it's what i grasp at interesting so you have if you have a hundred headmates do they each have projects or is it just you with multiple projects and they all chime in you know they, they have different interests but um i don't know if they necessarily have I think they contribute to multiple, multiple projects. Nice. Yeah. It's an advantage. Well, it's all part of you, right? Yeah, it is. That's wonderful. Well, I, I, I'm inspired. I mean, you, you are working on, on these projects. It's your passion. Uh, these are contributing to society, to the world, right? So I'm going to put um, these also in, in the, the show notes, your YouTube channels and uh, multiply by one. Uh, and I'm excited to see if it makes a difference for someone listening, right? For, for a parent, for an adult. Um, I know this wasn't necessarily just about ADHD, but 
it's very related because a lot of children are misdiagnosed with ADHD. And not, it's not a good or bad thing. It's just something we need to be aware of. And we can't just label every child that's inattentive with ADHD because it's one of the symptoms, right? Or a child that needs to be moving around constantly uh, with ADHD because that's one of the symptoms or two of the symptoms. We have to be um, more mindful. And from what I got from your story is also we have to be mindful that traumas that happen to children at an early age in our families and in the homes need to be looked at before we point the finger at the child. There's something wrong with them what might have happened to that child that caused those behaviors that we call symptoms and now a mental disorder. So, hey, Melissa, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Again, I, I appreciate your vulnerability uh, and your passion for the matter. And um, I just want to see if there's anything else you'd like to say at the end of our episode. Just that I'm really happy to have had this conversation. I've, I've listened to several episodes and I'm just really i love how there's such an aspect of looking at the entire situation and not just medication whereas medication can be important i think that that's emphasized as well but like at the same time you look at the whole situation the whole person and not treat the person like the label i think that that goes overall like a really good impression on me and i think that i'm really happy to have been part of this episode well thank you melissa until soon